Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, brother, it's good to have you back on this morning. And we're going to be finishing up today um, a, I think this is our part four of a series on Calvinism versus Arminianism. Yeah, I believe so. And uh, we've been very blessed and encouraged by the feedback we've heard from many folks. And we try to be biblically fair um, to the positions that we're discussing here, um, portraying both sides and, and the reasons why we believe what we believe. Yeah. And it, so, it, like I said, it's four parts. Uh, the, the first part, we kind of just did a, a sort of a summary and overview. Uh, and then we started getting into the points of each in the second, third, and now the fourth part. And so um, if you really want a good understanding, or at least I, w- I would still say a good overview of both positions, go back and listen to all four of these now, and you'll at least have a better grasp of what uh, each position actually represents. And, and we talked about that. One of the problems when you bring up it, you know, actually, it's only when you bring up Calvinism, yeah, um, typically. Right. But one of the issues is you hear the term and then you come to a whole bunch of conclusions. And a lot of times those conclusions aren't actually what the position teaches or believes. Um, and that happens with Arminianism too. But I think uh, Calvinism has uh, has such a a, a stronger visceral reaction in people um, that they make a lot of assumptions about what what it means and what it doesn't mean. And so uh, there's a good overview, I think. And we've tried and we have tried to be fair uh, yeah. with what each view uh, actually teaches. And then, of course, you know why we believe one position is more biblical than another. So uh, with all of that, that brings us to the very last uh, of the points. And that would be. Um, the, the P in TULIP, which we've been going through, which is the perseverance of the saints, um, or the Arminian side, which is uh, falling from grace. So let's just start with uh, the Calvinistic side. When someone asks, okay, uh, w- what does it really mean, the, the, the perseverance of the saints? How would you answer that? Yeah, perseverance, sometimes I've, I've heard it described as preservation um, of the saints. Uh, but in essence, it's once you have put your faith into Jesus Christ, you receive eternal life. And that eternal life is a guarantee. It's a promise. It can never be taken away. Uh, we know that to be true with regards to our salvation. But it also means that as Christians, we would be preserved. Uh, we're, we're, we're not going to fall away. Um, it's not that we're not going to lose our salvation. Of course, we won't. But we're not going to fall away from the faith. We're not going to walk away from the faith. We're not going to um, start uh, diverting in a way that uh, fits more of our prior manner of life and completely just abandon uh, the church. And <clears throat> this is uh, this is one of the more controversial ones, I will say, not for people um, on the kind of reformed end. I think, I think this is pretty solid, but there are a lot of churches out there that teach that you can lose your salvation. Um, and then on the flip side, there's the opposite error that's often phrased as once saved, always saved. And of course, when we say once saved, always saved, we fully agree with that. But oftentimes when once saved, always saved is used, it's, always, it's often used in conjunction with easy believism, which is basically yeah. the idea that um, you know, anyone can ask Jesus into their heart, anyone can accept Jesus Christ, and, uh, and, and from there they're saved no matter what, and, uh, and, and without even any regards to whether the confession 
was um, a true confession or not. So I would say easy believism really takes out the question of whether a confession is true or not. It just assumes that all confessions are true and that person is saved no matter what you see from that person after that. Yeah, absolutely. And you you make a good point. Uh, and and I think I think it is more helpful uh, to understand the perseverance of the saints as the preservation of the saints. So I, I think one legitimate critique would be the wording does actually leave us with the idea that it's the saints that mm -hmm. do the work of preserving themselves. Yeah. Now, that's not what is meant. And so we'll talk about right. that. Um, but, but a better word would be the preservation of the saints, because that lends itself to the saints being preserved by right. something outside of themselves. Um, and, and so when we say, you know, perseverance of the saints, we're really not talking about what the saints do rather than what happens to the saints, right? Or what is done for the saints may be a way to put that. Um, and, and it's just very simply that, you know, God is the one who preserves all of those who he has called to himself. God's the one doing the preserving, right? Uh, not us. We are being faithful. Um, we're being diligent, but it's God who preserves us, not us who preserve ourselves. And so that, that's, that's a much better word, I think. Yeah, it, it speaks to God being the one who does that work. And we see that in, for, for instance, Philippians 1.6, um, he who, who began a good work in you will complete it until the um, until the day that Jesus Christ returns. So we we see that in the scriptures. It does put more of an emphasis upon the one who preserves us. Uh, but the perseverance, we will say that we see the uh, preservation in the perseverance that shows from the saints that stems yeah. from God's preservation. So it's it's um, you could state it either way, but I agree with you. Preservation does speak more towards uh, what God does for us. Yeah. And, you know, with a lot of terms, and th this is maybe just good to say, generally speaking, right? When uh, it, it, it's always good to ask, well, what, what do you understand that term to mean? You, you know, what do, what do you mean when you say this X, Y, yeah, or Z? Right. Uh, because we live in a world where definitions get changed all the time, or they get misunderstood, right? Unintentionally, um, or someone who, who hasn't taken the time to look up the particular meaning and or doctrine has just heard and they're repeating what they've heard, but it's incorrect. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it's always good to define terms uh, so that we, you know what you're talking about. And, and that's true here. Um, well, brother, let's, we're bringing up the doctrine. Let's go through a few scriptures because again, um, I, I don't know, and we've said this statement a lot. I don't know of anyone who is a disciple, uh, quote unquote, of John Calvin. We, we come to these conclusions and Calvinism is just a summary of uh, some of the doctrinal points that John Calvin maybe uh, brought out in a clearer way um, that weren't as clear uh, for some time in, in his recent past, right? Uh, and so it's just a way to acknowledge these things that are biblical. Um, so I, I think, John, you go to John, you have a really good one here. Uh, John 10, 24 and 30. And let me just read this an incredible passage. And I think as we read through these, what you'll find is that there, there's really not any ambiguity in terms of the saints persevering. It's pretty clear, right? And there are many, many scriptures to support that view. So let's just read this, starting at 24. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in, sus in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. By the way, if anyone is 
uh, ever says, where did Jesus ever make himself equal to God? Here's a good verse for you in this text. He goes on to say, Jesus answered him, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. And we've talked about this on a previous episode, right? The reason that they don't believe is because they don't belong to Christ. No. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I mean, these are definitive statements. Um, yeah. He goes on to say, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and, and the father are one. I mean, this is an incredible passage. You talk about the perseverance of the saints. Yeah, and when you take a look at John as a whole, I mean, that chapter by itself and those verses that you just read, I think are very clear. Uh, But when you see the run-up in in the book of John, and I'm looking back at John chapter 6, verse 37, when Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me, and the one who, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. And, and he repeats that three different times throughout the chapter, makes this direct uh, connection between the one who the father draws and the one who the father draws are the ones who are going to be saved, that, that Jesus will not cast them out. And that connects to that statement from John chapter 10, when Jesus said, well, you do not believe because you're not my sheep. And we've brought up that verse before. And this is where understanding of the uh, preservation of the saints really ties into the other aspects of, um, of Calvinism, as, as we talked about. The, um, the irresistible grace, unconditional election, those kinds of things. Um, but what, what we see here is that that statement, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. I think a lot of people just read over that and, and don't stop to think about cause and effect. Um, because normally we would think the cause and effect is it w- would phrase that statement as you're not my sheep because you don't believe. But that's not what Jesus said. Yeah. He didn't say you're not my sheep because you don't believe. He said you don't believe because you're not my sheep. So in other words, the cause is whether you are of the sheep or not. In other words, whether God the Father has drawn you, whether you have been um, elected before the foundation of the world. And what will happen is that for people that will take the Arminian position is that they'll read that verse and they'll read in conditions that are not stated. Yeah. So they will say, um, in other words, you're, you, you will not be cast out. Uh, you're you're going to be protected unless you jump out. Like, okay, my father, you, you know, he, no one can take, take you from his hands unless you jump out of his hands, right? So they'll, they'll kind of throw in a clause that, that serves as a conditional, that that's actually not there. Yeah. And as you mentioned, when you read through those statements, um, that, th- that statement is made in a series of absolutes. Uh, they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father has given to me, he's greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hands. So if he really wanted to communicate in absolute terms that no one could lose their salvation, how much more strongly could he have said it than this? Yeah. Right? And, and the very start of that, I mean, he, he makes a statement, and I give eternal life to them. Yeah. Right. If you have eternal life, you have eternal life. Right. You, you can't then not have eternal life. I mean, and, and as you say, the absolutes in that statement are so crystal clear um, it, that you have to add things to the text that aren't there. And, it, you know, when, when we read all of these texts and we read them in, in context and you do a little bit of, uh, I mean, this is one of the, I'll plug systematic theology here. 
Uh, this is one of the benefits of, of having a robust systematic theology, which is nothing more than asking, what does the Bible teach in its totality on any given subject? I mean, I mean that's what systematic theology is, right? Um, and and you, you take all of the Scripture, and you synthesize the information, and you come to a conclusion that's consistent with all of the information to which the Bible speaks on a given subject. And you come here, and you just see over and over and over again the consistency um, that uh, if, if you truly are saved, you, you're saved, right? You can't right. lose that salvation. Now, there are questions uh, that arise, and we'll get to those, um, but, you can't, but you can't avoid the text, right? So we have this. We have the text. Now, uh, actually, read that text you read again from, was John 6? Uh, John because 6. Yeah. It, because there's an interesting thing in there. Read, read that again real quick. Yeah, John 6. Let me pull that up. Uh, John 6 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Now, that's interesting because a lot of times what happens is people skip that first part of the text. They go to the second part and say, okay, we'll see only those who come. Yeah. Yeah, well, only those who come. Yeah, but only those who come are the ones that the Father specifically draws. Right. So that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so the text is actually saying, you know, the, the Father draws and the ones that come are the ones he draws. So you can't separate the text like that. But that happens quite a lot, right? I, I just wanted to bring that out. Um, it, it's never a good idea to cut a verse or verses in half and ignore part of the sentence uh, yeah. or, or make a doctrine from one part without uh, including the other part. Um, it, these aren't the only verses, right? It, there are a whole bunch. In fact, in Ephesians, and you know, Ephesians comes up just, Ephesians is such a wonderful book. It touches it like yeah. every major doctrine in the Christian faith for the most part. Um, it, it, here's an interesting one in Ephesians chapter one, 13 and 14, listen to this in him. So this is in Christ. You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him, in Christ with the Holy spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. And then you hop down to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I mean, there's a lot going on in this passage. But uh, one of the things I would make note of is the, the believer has been sealed by the Holy Spirit. So if you could lose your salvation, yeah. somehow you, you have to break the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's that's an excellent point, and I think this really ties into the Old Testament as well. When you think about the promises, uh, Moses talked about how the heart will, will be circumcised. Um, Jeremiah talks about how God will write his heart, his law upon our heart. Um, but Ezekiel, I think Ezekiel is crystal clear in this regard, and we've read uh, read this in um, previous episodes, but it's worth looking at again. When I go to Ezekiel chapter 36, um, it says this, starting in verse 26 says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So God is describing a supernatural work that he's doing within us. He's not only giving us a new heart of flesh, uh, which is a which is an awakened heart, one that that sees and understands God, but also he gives us the power of his Holy Spirit, right? Um, so this is a supernatural work from God. And then Jeremiah talks about how the fact that this is going to be tied to the new covenant, 
the new covenant would replace the old. And it says, this new covenant is not like the old. The old is the one that your fathers broke. And the implication there is that this new covenant is one that you cannot break. And, and how is it that you cannot break it? Because I will write my law into your heart. And so we see, even from these Old Testament promises, that our old heart is dead. It causes us to turn away from God. It causes us to fit the description given by Paul in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. Um, no one seeks after God. No one does good. All have turned aside. Together they've become useless. Um, none are good, not even one. So <clears throat> we, we see that truth just in our depravity. And that goes back to the point of total depravity, um, that we were dead. Now, here's the thing. If God is doing a supernatural work and giving you a, a new fleshly heart to replace the stony heart that you've always had and gives you the power of his Holy Spirit, and if you could still lose your salvation, then the work of God is no different than man trying to, trying to obey the Mosaic law of the Old Testament, right? So I think it's yeah. very clear that when you look at the promises from Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Moses going back to Deuteronomy chapter 30, when he says that God will circumcise your heart. And that makes very clear, by the way, when you look at the five books of Moses, circumcision is a big deal. It continues to be a yeah. big deal into Jesus' day, probably a, a, still a big deal today. But circumcision was very clearly a physical sign of a covenant made to Abraham. But when Moses says, circumcise your heart, he makes it very clear that he is not talking about the physical circumcision. He is talking about the spiritual circumcision that causes you to obey. And so that's why he said in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, that the Lord will circumcise your heart so that you would obey. So when we talk about how salvation is not by works, it's true. Jesus Christ did all the works. Um, we are saved by the grace of God through the faith that is given to us, right? Um, but the outcome of that is good works. That's the Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. 8 and 9 re repeats in five different ways that it's yep. all a work of God. It's not man. And then verse 10 says that this, these things have happened so that you would walk in the good works that God has created for you beforehand. So what we're really talking about when we talk about the preservation of the saints is, is a ministry that is made possible by a new heart and the spirit within us. Yeah. And so if you could lose it, you, you have to then take a heart that's been circumcised spiritually and then make it uncircumcised again. Well, that, yeah. that's as ridiculous because it's linked to Old Testament circumcision. I mean, this is, I think, where our Presby friends get, get what's linked in the Bible wrong with other stuff. It, you know, you go from uh, circumcision in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, Paul says, you know, but now the circumcision is one of the heart. And so it's, it's, as, it's as ridiculous to believe that you could uncircumcise your heart as it is you could uncircumcise a physical body, right? And then, as you say, you have to undo the renewing of your yourself that the yeah. Holy Spirit has renewed. Um, it, you know, Ephesians says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, that you were children of wrath. So God saves you. He takes you from being spiritually dead to giving you spiritual life. You're no longer a child of wrath. You're a child of God. But if you take the other position, you have to say, then you can undo the life-giving work of God, right? You, right? you can go from having new life um, and being seated in Christ to abandoning being seated in Christ and to going back to being dead. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and then the question is, how is that new heart any better than the old heart at that point? Right. right. It, it's, absolutely. It's, and then you mentioned Ephesians. I mean, we go back to Ephesians chapter two 
we get to that verse four says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. But not only that, verse six, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's amazing. I mean, we are in Christ. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We are in union with Christ. And, and that to say that you can lose your salvation means that those realities have been reversed. Yeah, that uh, yeah. you were raised up and seated with him, and then you jumped off your seat, and now you're no longer there. And and really, when you do that, you, you start to get back into the whole Roman Catholicism and their system of, you know, there's mortal uh, mortal sins and venial sins and confession to a priest and, you know, how the Lord's table is about, uh, you know, the sacrifices all over again, Jesus Christ actually being sacrificed to, to pay for your sins uh, anew. When the fact is Jesus Christ died once and for all. So you, you can see we're, we're touching up on a lot of other doctrines yeah. um, that, uh, that, that help to support what we are describing as the preservation of the saints. But if you sacrifice that, you sacrifice a lot of other things that are communicated in the scriptures. And you have to jump through a lot of hoops. That's more hoops. That's a lot more hoops that you got to jump through in order to hold that position. Yeah, ultimately, if you take the opposing position, you have to say, to, to be consistent, you have to say that um, it, it, that man in his free will first chooses God, and then you have to say that man by his own works maintains his salvation. No. That means you've, you now have a works-based salvation. There's no way to get around that. Either you... Um, work with God uh, to get your salvation. And we talked about that, right? And so they would say that differently, but that's still the truth. Um, or if you if you don't take that position, at, at the very least, when you get to this doctrine, you would have to say that it's up to man to work in his works to maintain his salvation. Okay, well, either way, that's a works-based salvation, and your salvation is based on what you do or what you don't do. And of course, we know what Scripture says right, uh, about making salvation based on works. Um, it nullifies the work of the cross. And so, right. Uh, right. It, you know, we don't care about uh, the names. You know, you, you, you talk about Calvin, you talk about or Calvinism or Arminianism. You, you know, our, our desire is to look and just see what the teachings of Scripture are, right? And we want to submit to Scripture. And why would anyone want the view that you have to work uh, for your salvation, especially after you read all of the warnings in scripture about how that just nullifies your faith altogether. And that's part of the problem uh, with yeah. this view. But there's some other, okay, so let's, let's ask a question here. Um, so immediately, you know, a, from someone from the other side would, would say something like, okay, well, um, what do you do with uh, the person who, you know, they, they've been a Christian all their life, and then all of a sudden, uh, they apostatize. What do you do with that person? Right. Right. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I, I would go to first John two 19 first, and there are several places, right? Right. Um, and, but, but this answers some of those questions. First John two 19 says they went out from us, but they were not really of us for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they are not all of us. And, and so the fruit of one's life, the lasting fruit of one's life, right, is, is a factor. And so if someone abandons the faith and they die in that state, 
Uh, I think scripture is pretty clear that they never were genuinely saved to start with. It's not someone losing their salvation. It's someone that was never saved to begin with. Yeah. And one of the ways I, I think you can test this, at least in my experiences, I've watched um, various individuals walk away from the faith and when they provide their testimony as to why they did it, you know, when I think about why I'm a Christian, it starts and ends with what I believe is true about Jesus Christ, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, really, yeah. nothing else matters if, if you don't believe the right thing about Jesus Christ, that he is the son of God. He came in order to do the will of God the Father, which means to live that perfect life, to go to the cross, to offer himself as that sacrifice for sin for all those who had put their faith into him. That that was the will of God. That was how Jesus Christ humbled himself and and submitted to the will of the Father. Uh, But when we think about what Jesus Christ has accomplished uh, for us, that the the work is perfect, um, that the work is once and for all time, and uh, we we have to honor that as a once and for all time kind of work. We don't do anything, but we are freed from our sin. When we put our faith into Jesus Christ, and, and I would even... To be more precise, God regenerates our heart to receive that truth and to respond in faith. Um, There is an outcome of good works that results from that. That's the difference of talking about the root of salvation versus the fruit of salvation. There is a fruit that comes out of being saved, but it's not the fruit afterwards that saves you. It's the fruit afterwards that proves your salvation, that shows that that your salvation is there. But um, but it, it all starts with our faith in Christ. And, and the promise is that when we demonstrate our faith in Christ, that's actually already the sign that we've been regenerated. And per John chapter 10, um, we're, we're always going to be saved. So knowing that truth and, and thinking about the people who have walked away from the faith, listen to their testimonies. Because if I were ever to walk away from the faith, which I, God forbid I would ever do that, but if I were ever to walk away from the faith, I would need to explain why I think that Jesus Christ is no longer the Christ, why I think he's no longer the Messiah, why I think that his sacrifice is no longer good enough to pay for our sins or why it was no longer necessary. Okay, I I have to come to grips with that before I talk about anything else. But invariably what I see, and this has been like just about every single time when people walk away, it's their disappointment with people, it's their disappointment with the uh, word of God, they don't believe it's the word of God, They, they don't have answers to certain scientific questions, um, or they've gone through trials and, and they're disappointed that God hasn't been there to deliver them uh, through those trials, which ties back to an improper view of God's sovereignty and his word and his will and purpose for mm-hmm. us. Um, but oftentimes they're, they're talking about things, uh, talking about reasons that have nothing to do with the gospel, right? And, and why am I pointing to that? Because if they were truly Christians, then they would know that the reason why they were Christians wasn't because of the people. Yeah, it was yeah. because they received the truth of the gospel. And if you walk away you, and, and you understood the gospel to begin with, then to walk away means now you reject the gospel. And so that's something that you need to be able to clearly, um, to clearly articulate. Because at the end of the day, churches will let you down. People will let you down. Pastors will let you down. Good and godly men who you may have followed all your life may at some point let you down. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever, right? Yeah. And, and so if we believe what Jesus Christ has done, then, then that is the reason why we are believers. That's the reason why we are followers. But if you look at those testimonies, what you'll see, and, and the question that I always ask myself, did they really understand the gospel? Mm-hmm. And I'll look at the testimony, I'll see no trace of it at all. I'll see no signs of why they became a Christian, or at least the real reasons why they became a Christian. 
Yeah, I mean, this is one of the reasons why we don't formulate doctrine based on situations that happen around us, right? Uh, on anecdotal type things. Uh, it, it's sort of like to, to make an argument against the preservation of the saints because people fall away or it appears they fall away um, w- without going to Scripture and seeing what Scripture has to say. It's almost like walking to a gym and saying, oh, look at all these fat people. Clearly working out doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, right. It, it, it's a similar kind of thing. Right. Or or going into a hospital and seeing some people die and saying, oh, OK, well, clearly medicine doesn't help anyone like that's utterly preposterous. But yet people do that exact same kind of thing with this doctrine uh, rather than coming to Scripture. Uh, they'll look around and say, oh, well, so and so fell away and he was a Christian. Well, Scripture says something quite contrary. He never was a Christian, if that's true. Now, we're not saying yeah. that genuine believers will never go through seasons of disobedience. Uh, or, right. or seasons of darkness in their own faith. Um, that, that certainly can happen, but they will not no. end in a state of disobedience and denial, right? Uh, and, and so we have to be very careful when we're looking at people's lives um, and, and just trying to determine biblical doctrine based on that, because here's the reality, um, I, I, and that's why I phrased what I, I said earlier very carefully. If someone leaves the faith and they die in that state, then yeah. then that is that is evidence that they were never truly saved. Now I say it that way because someone may claim to leave the faith and and be out of the church for a year or two or even longer um, and come to repentance and come back and be faithful and remain faithful. And in reality, it was a genuine believer who went through you know a period of disobedience and struggling with things. And ultimately, God in his grace, you know, brought them back to obedience. Um, and, and so I don't know where someone is in their walk. What I do know is if they if they maintain that state of disobedience, it's because they were never believers. So we have to be careful using anecdotal, you know, type stuff. Uh, I, I mean, I, I have people that I know very personally who went through a season of, you know, they left the church for a year. And when, when you talk about when they're willing to talk about it. Um, you know, they'll tell you that they, they struggled knowing that they were being disobedient that whole time, yeah, but yeah. they didn't share it with people. They just shared that they left the church. Um, and, and so we have to be careful with that. Now you get guys like, um, I don't know, Joshua Harris, for instance, um, it, you know what, if he dies in his current state, it's evidence that he never was really a Christian, and we get that from yeah. Scripture. But these aren't the only verses, right? I want to read a few more. Um, so we, we have the one in John that says, you know, if someone leaves the faith, it's not because they had it to start with. It's the opposite. It's because they never had the faith. But then right. if, if you want to, you know, if you want to dispute uh, John there, let's just go to Jesus' own words. I mean, there's some of the mm-hmm. scariest passages in the Bible, I think. You go to Matthew 7, 21 through 23, it says, and this is Jesus speaking, right? He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then he, and then I will declare to them, now this is the part to pay attention to, I never knew yeah, you. Right. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Not, I knew you and now I don't. I never yeah. knew you. 
Yeah, it's not I was in a relationship and then you changed. Um, it's not that you departed from me, um, but that you were never here. Um, that that is an excellent point. And and when I think about as I've been preaching through John, so I come back to John quite often. Uh, the, the whole purpose of the book of John is at the end of the book of John, when John writes, these things have been written so that you would know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that in believing you would have eternal life. But what's interesting is that even though the purpose of that book is so that we would believe, many places throughout John, and especially in the first half of the book, uh, he talks about people who believed who didn't really believe. Um, they, they believed because of the signs he did. They believed in some of the words that, that he, he shared. Uh, they believed in him if he was going to be like a political ruler. You know, so they believed uh, based upon an incomplete picture. And each time uh, we see that they believed, uh, Jesus would throw up more obstacles. Uh, he would say, well, if you believe, then there's also this, this, and this, and this. And they're like, well, wait a second. We don't believe that, right? I mean, I think yeah. about John 8, uh, 31. And in 8.30, it talks about how people believe because of the words that Jesus Christ was sharing. And then in 8.31, what does Jesus say? Uh, he says to those who believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. So yeah. those who believed, he, he didn't necessarily say you guys are saved. He said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And when he said the truth will set you free, he was talking about spiritual freedom, talking about freedom from sin, talking about the fact that we are slaves to sin. And as soon as he said that, the immediate response back is like, what are you talking about? We're not enslaved, right? So these were the people that supposedly believed in him, but they didn't believe in him for the right things. And so a lot of times when people claim to be in the faith and then they walk away from the faith, well, it's because they didn't believe Jesus in all the circumstances that they went through. Yeah. They didn't believe the true biblical Jesus that's portrayed in the Bible. And I think a lot of this ties back to just weak, shallow teaching, uh, incomplete teaching oftentimes from, from the church. We know that there are so many churches that doesn't talk about sin and repentance, for example. Yeah. Um, they don't talk about uh, hell, the realities of hell. Um, they, they don't talk about the fact that there are a lot of, um, there, there's a lot of the servants of, of Satan disguised as angels of light within the church and that we have to be discerning using the words of God. And so when they're given a very shallow kind of junk food version of Christianity and they're exposed to some hard truths, well, they come to realize they don't really believe. Uh, and, and I think Joshua Harris, and great example, and, and I pray that he repents and comes back, but he walked away because he no longer believed. Yeah. So he hit something in his life. He hit some circumstances in his life. And we know that there were, um, that there were some marital issues, at least that they got divorced, even though they tried to portray that it was amicable and all that. Um, but they got divorced and he then walked, I believe in a gay pride parade, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Like a week you know, later. So there, yeah. 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 So, so there were, there, there were clearly things that he didn't, fully believe. And he had to get through those situations to be exposed to that. Jesus Christ in the book of John, he makes it very clear. If you believe, you believe everything. You, you don't just pick and choose. And for a lot of these folks, they believed who they wanted Jesus Christ to be. They didn't believe who Jesus Christ really was. And that's why in John yeah. 6, 66, we have this statement as a result of this, talking about the many statements of Jesus Christ through that chapter, as a result of this, many of his disciples these are people who are following Jesus Christ. Many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. In other words, there were disciples in name only. Yeah. They never truly yeah. believed. And they needed that kind of teaching from Jesus Christ to realize, oh, I don't really believe. 
And so that that's a lesson to us. Um, and I know John MacArthur brings this up quite often that whereas um, the way we evangelize, we try to break down as many barriers as possible. And Jesus Christ is actually throwing more and more of them up. And, and it's not barriers of works. It's yeah. barriers that you believe that Christ as portrayed in the scriptures. Yeah. If, if And a lot of this, a lot of even misunderstanding the doctrines we're talking about, the perseverance of the saints comes from sloppy evangelism. Right. Because there are people all the time walking away from the faith, seemingly. And, and so people come to the conclusion, oh, well, clearly you can lose your salvation. Um, well, no, it's because, you know, when you uh, with every head bowed and, and a hand raised, if you want to receive Jesus into your heart um, and there's no understanding of sin, no understanding of repentance, no understanding of uh, the, the lordship of Christ and what that means. Then you get guys who came to Jesus um, in name only because they thought they were, you know, he was going to take every difficulty away from their life. And then they discover that Jesus says, no, actually, un unless you hate mother and father and brother and sister, yeah. you have right. no part in me. Uh, and the point is loving him more than everything else. And then he says, you know, take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me. Well, that's not the Jesus that was preached to them. And so all of a sudden they find out that Christianity is, uh, Christianity actually costs, right? There's a cost to it. And love is a big deal for Jesus, right? Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commandments, right? Uh, in Luke 6, he says, why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? Um, and, and so when it appears that people have walked away from the faith in reality, they've just demonstrated again, as we see in Scripture, that they never belong to the faith to start with. Jesus makes that point in Matthew 7. Um, also, also Matthew 15, which is quoting the Old Testament, says, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. Yeah. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. I mean, here's another passage, right? Um, the, the whole book of Jude, for instance, you know, the whole book of Jude, he starts out, and I don't have it pulled up, but he starts out by basically saying, what I really wanted to do was write to you about our common salvation. I, I wanted to talk about the gospel, but there's something even more pressing than that right now, and that's that you contend earnestly for the faith. And then he goes on and talks about all of those who have crept into the church secretly, unaware, right? These are people who look like yeah, Christians. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think about the um, when Jesus taught the parable of the soil, um, the sower and the soil, right? Yeah, he describes four different groups. Um, he talks about how seed um, there, there was some seed that fell beside the road, and the birds came up and ate them. This is, by the way, Matthew chapter thirteen, and then verse five: others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched because they had no root. They withered away. Verse seven, other fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked them out. And other fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, a hundred, some 60, some 30 fold. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then when he goes on to explain it, he goes on to explain that amongst these four groups, three of those four groups initially respond in faith. They, they initially believe, but then the trials of life or the various circumstances of life end up robbing them uh, of that faith. And, and really the, the reality though, is that for them, that the seed was never on good soil. You know, the, the seed that falls on good soil is going to yield fruit. It's going to yield fruit um, 60, 30, 100 fold, whatever it, it may be. So we, we see the reality throughout scripture that not everyone who claims to be a believer is truly a believer. And I remember when I first met my wife, she was attending another church in Bakersfield. And I went to go 
visit that church. And looking back, it, it was more of a seeker-sensitive church. But I, I thank God that he still saved my wife through that church. But anyway, we went to that church. And I remember at the end, the pastor did an altar call. A number of people came up to the front. And then he said to the group of them, and there was probably about a dozen um, people that came in and responded to the altar call. The pastor said to them, good news, you're going home with the Holy Spirit. And I was a believer for about a year at that point. But even at that point, I realized that that, that was a terrible statement that he made. Mm-hmm. And I remember my my wife, at that point, we weren't married yet, but Alice asked me, he's like, well, what was the problem with that? And I said, well, he just basically gave them assurance of salvation. Um, just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't mean they're a Christian, right? And she understood that. She said, yeah. I said, well, look at what just happened. He just basically told them that they're all Christians. The proof is that it's going to be over time, right? Yeah. Did did they really believe the Christ of the Bible or did they believe who they wanted to believe? And to your point, this is part of the damage that health, wealth, and prosperity gospels um, do, that um, that they teach a different Jesus than what the Bible teaches. They, They teach a God that wants you to be happy and healthy and wealthy, when the reality is when you look at the scriptures, you can't find that kind of support anywhere right? What God wants is for you to be holy. I mean, think about the deacon, Stephen, how long was he a believer before he was stoned to death? Right. And and the the, uh, disciples of Jesus Christ, you know, one of them was Judas. We know he betrayed Jesus Christ and then the rest, except for John were all martyred. Right. So, I mean, that that's not the happy, healthy, wealthy life that people tend to think of in an earthly sense. So we have to come back to the scriptures and see the scriptures for what they are. And then when people believe, did they really believe what the scriptures said? Um, or do we get to certain parts of scripture and we kind of want to ignore certain parts or not believe certain parts? Because you know what? Jesus Christ makes it very clear. If you believe, you believe all of his words. You don't just pick and choose. Yeah. Yeah. And so in that sense, once you're saved, you are always saved. Yep. But understanding that biblically, right? So as you mentioned earlier, uh, that phrase has become synonymous with, you know, I raised my hand one time when I felt all gushy and mushy inside um, and and you know, at an evangelist crusade or whatever, and now I'm saved and I can go and, you know, live like hell on earth and I'm still good. Well, that, that's not what we mean. But in the biblical yeah. sense, if you truly are saved, you cannot lose that salvation. Now, I want to read one more passage and then we need to jump into the Arminian side. Um, the, the, last, the last passage is, is I, I want to read just um, in support of this position will be from Romans 8. Uh, chapter 35 through 39, or sorry, Romans chapter 8, 35, 39. It says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's pretty all-encompassing, I think. Yeah, that's a powerful statement. And um, I I don't know how Paul could possibly emphasize that any further, that, um, that there is no way that anyone can snatch us out of the hand of God the Father and, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We have total um, security uh, of our salvation. You know, the um, the one passage I'll bring up before you go to the Armenian side, and I don't know, maybe this is part of the Armenian side, but 
Hebrews chapter six talks about how people can fall away. Oh yeah. Don't go there yet. Don't go there yet. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll wait, we'll wait till we get to the other side. So we'll talk about that when we get there. Yeah. Two seconds. Okay. So (laughs) let's hop over to the Arminian side because that, that is the big verse, right? I mean, this is, is. this is the, the most prominent verse um, that the Arminian side has. So, but let me just introduce quickly. So we, we talked about the perseverance of the saints on the Calvinist side. What is uh, the doctrinal position on the Arminian side. So the Arminian side would simply be, rather than perseverance of the saints, would be falling from grace. And w- what what the fifth pillar of Arminianism teaches is that God cannot preserve any believer who, of their own free will, refuses to be preserved. Okay, A Christian is able to be saved, and then through their own unfaithfulness, lose salvation and fall from grace. Okay, that's the doctrinal position. Well, how do they get to that? Uh, well, Hebrews 6 is the prominent verse, but before Eki gets us there, I just want to make a, a very interesting um, observation here. This is the point, the sole point that Arminius himself never came to a conclusion on. I don't know if you were aware of that, um, but uh, in opposition to John Calvin, Arminius um, came up with, uh, you know, these points, but this one, when it came to it, he actually said he wasn't able to come to a conclusion and needed to study it further. And he actually died before ever publicly coming to a conclusion. So for for the Arminian side, not even did Arminius uh, ever reach a conclusion on this, at least that anyone knows about because he Mm. didn't make it public before he died. So, uh, just a, a little tidbit that's interesting there. All right, so Hebrews 6, really, for all the passages we have for Calvinism to support that view, w- there are some other ones, but really, this is the, the only one, uh, the, the major one of Arminianism. Yeah. So why don't you walk us through that? Hebrews 6, 1 through 6, this is the question, right? People will point to this and say, but what yeah, about Yeah, um, so Hebrews chapter yeah, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ— let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and, and of faith towards God. So obviously the, the speaker is calling them to, to be sanctified, to continue to grow in their faith and to stop um, wallowing in kind of the, the shallow waters, if you will. Uh, verse two, uh, talking about of instruction and washings and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Uh, verse four, for in the case of those who have been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and have been partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of the Lord and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify themselves to the Son of God and put him to open shame. So first, we've got to deal with the verbiage and the terminology that's being used there. Talks about being enlightened, tasting of the heavenly gift, having been partakers of the Holy Spirit, having tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Now, I will admit, just those phrases by themselves, that sounds like salvation. It sounds like salvation. Yeah. If you were to break it down, though, you would find that a lot of these phrases are not used anywhere else except here. So, for instance, partakers of the Holy Spirit rather than those who have actually received the Holy Spirit and have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. Um, tasted the the good word of the Lord that we, we do see that in, in certain places, but for us, we feed on the word of the Lord, right? We are to yeah. we are to feed on it just as as man feeds on on bread, and uh, and what we what we would say for these two verses that 
it appears that this is describing those who have come to understand, they, they understand the, the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, they, they understand um, the power that God's word um, has upon the congregation, upon believers, and they even see the fruit of the Spirit in operation, and yet they themselves have not ever put their faith into Christ, right? So um, I would describe this as someone who has tasted it, they see it, they understand it, um, but they have never they have never fully repented or put their faith into Christ. Yeah. And then verse six talks about them falling away. But here's the important thing. So, I mean, we, we could debate all those terms and say, well, this really talks about a believer and all that. Here's the thing, though. And verse six says, it, once they have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. So here, here's the important part that you have to understand. If you hold to the Armenian position that Hebrews chapter six teaches you can lose your salvation. If you use this to teach you can lose your salvation, you also have to use this to teach that you can never get it back. Once yeah. you've lost it, you've lost it for good. All yeah. right. And, and when you look at the larger scope of the book of Hebrews, the author is addressing those who are Jews who have supposedly put their faith into Jesus Christ. They've even witnessed signs and wonders. That's being referenced earlier on in, in the book of Hebrews. So they have had a lot of benefits. But now under the threat of persecution or under the weight of persecution, they're thinking about abandoning it, abandoning it and going back to mm -hmm. their old faith. So it's a very specific um, situation that we're, we're talking about here, where these Jews, they know the truth, but they would rather go back to an old covenant that doesn't save rather than embrace Jesus yeah. Christ and endure the persecution that is to, to come. And so that's the situation that's being described here. I do not believe in any way that this means that you can lose your salvation. Yeah. And I think, it, you know, just a good, one of the very basic principles of good hermeneutics, right, is to take passages that may seem more obscure um, and take passages that are plain and interpret the obscure, obscure passages using the knowledge of the plain passages, right? So we have many, many passages that make it clear that those who are saved, God maintains, and they persevere through the end. So now you get through, I mean, you, you have Jesus's own words. You have John that answers the question, what about those who leave? Um, it, you have this over and over and over again. You have Jesus saying, no one can snatch them from my hand. Uh, by, by the way, those who are, and we didn't read the passage, but um, th those who are given to Christ are given by the Father. So if you could lose your salvation, right, then the Father wasn't able to give all that he intended to Christ. I mean, just, yeah. just a point. Then you come to this passage and you have to say, okay, if you want to take it this way, what has to happen is it has to be consistent with the other teachings of Scripture because there, there's no such thing as contradictory doctrine in Scripture. And, and if you take this with the Arminian view, then there is no answer to the question of, you know, the, the many other passages. There's just no answer. But I think there is an answer uh, to this. As you've said, I, I would also take the view that this isn't talking about someone who is genuinely saved. Right. Okay, well, who is it talking about? Well, I, I'll give you one good example, uh, the Pharisees. Yeah. So you, if you want to know who on earth has ever tasted the good word of God, have seen the power of God, who have experienced uh, the Holy Spirit, and then they still weren't saved, well, there was a group of people the Pharisees. Now, this is a difference, I think, now between the writers writing in the context of the time, 
because there was a time that was very unique in history that we do not experience today, yeah. right? For instance, Jesus physically walking on earth. Um, Jesus is no longer physically walking on earth in bodily form. Um, and so here, just consider, and I'm just putting this out for consideration, right? Because the text doesn't tell us who specifically it was talking about, but just consider this. The Pharisees, they, it, the miracles of Christ were so undeniable that we have not one single encounter of the Pharisees doing anything other than acknowledging genuine miracles. Yeah. They wanted to crucify him because they were genuine miracles. So what is that? They, they literally experienced the power of God over and over. They mm -hmm. saw the miraculous. They saw the power of the Holy Spirit working in Christ and then in the apostles who were also healing, right? They heard Jesus himself make the claims of his uh, unity with God the Father. They saw Jesus make claims to be the Messiah. They heard the truth straight from the mouth of God, straight from Jesus Christ. Every single one of the things listed in this passage applies to those who heard and walked with Jesus during the time of his earthly ministry here. I think that's addressing predominantly those people. Um, you could extrapolate that to our own day if you want, but it certainly does apply to those who walked with Jesus at the time, does it not? Yeah, and, and I would add on top of that, those same Pharisees, they were, they were the gatekeepers to the Old Testament. They were the gatekeepers to the scriptures. They were seen as the ones that held fast to the word of God, and they were seen as the ones that were supposed to teach and, and be the mediators of what it really said. So they, were, they should have been in the best position of anyone to be able to go back and validate in the scriptures what Jesus Christ was doing. But rather than actually even giving Jesus a fair chance to prove through his works and, and his fulfillment of prophecies that he indeed is the Messiah, instead of doing that, they actually attributed his works to Satan. So they went clear on the other way, and not only that, but they sought to divert anyone from believing in Christ and rather tried to convince them that Jesus Christ was, in fact, doing the works of Satan himself. So they, they saw all the works. They had access to the word. They were in positions, and, and really the, the position that they were in, really they were supposed to be a kind of shepherd to the people, uh, but they weren't doing that. They were actually making everyone sons of hell. So that ties into the unpardonable sin, the unforgivable sin that we see Jesus Christ bringing up, that you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and I believe that is because they were taking the good works of God through the Holy Spirit himself and saying that it was coming by Satan, despite the fact that they had every reason and every opportunity and every responsibility in their position to know otherwise. And, and so I do believe that the unpardonable sin and, and I, not everyone's going to share this position, but I do believe that the unpardonable sin that Jesus describes was unique in that day and that time in that situation for those Pharisees. And, but I would agree with you when we talk about people who have tasted uh, of the good gifts and all that. Again, those were really kind of these, um, the, these first generation of Jewish people that had come to faith. And even in the same book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter two, verse four, talks about how God testified to them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles mm -hmm. and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So they actually witnessed the, the, the power of God through, through a lot of those uh, signs and wonders. And then in addition, Hebrews chapter three, and, and this is important because this is the same letter that people are making the argument that you can lose your salvation. But in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14, uh, the writer writes, for we have become partakers of Christ. So let me stop there. We have become partakers of Christ. That's talking about the past. It says, for we have been become partakers of Christ 
if, and here's the condition, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. So basically what he's doing, he's describing what's going to happen in the future mm -hmm. and saying that what has happened in the past is only true if the future holds up, that you, you persevere all the way to the end. So in other words, this is not saying that your works are conditional, right? Like your salvation is conditional upon your works. What it's saying is that you have only become partakers of Christ if it's proven by your perseverance all the way to the end. So it's actually saying the, the exact opposite. If you are truly partakers, that means you will persevere to the end. That's Hebrews 3.14. Which is in line perfectly with 1 John, because then if, if that doesn't happen, they went out with us, they went out from us because they were not really of us, right? Yeah. And, and so I, I think the case is just so incredibly strong um, for the perseverance of the saints. And, and I think when you understand uh, these passages in Hebrews, and look, there's some difficulties uh, in parts of Scripture, without a doubt, um, but it, if, if the whole of Scripture points to one doctrine and you have one obscure passage that contradicts many clear, or at least your interpretation of it, contradicts many clear passages, then right. you, you have to be honest enough to say, okay, clearly this doesn't mean what I think it means because there are no contradictions. Um, and, and so right. I, I think we can explain that passage in that way. And then ultimately, again, um, if, if maybe this is a bit reductionistic, but it, at the end of the day, if anything you do, right, affects whether or not you keep or lose your salvation, that makes your faith a works-based salvation. Yeah. And, and for the most part, the, the, the Arminian view rejects works-based salvation, right? You, you wouldn't hear guys who are honest about this, these positions. They wouldn't say, no, no, we earn our own salvation or we have to do good works to keep it. That's right. the Roman right. Catholic view. But in reality, that is what the conclusion you have to come to ultimately, right? Uh, any last words before we wrap up? I, I think it's a pretty solid case for one over the other. Um, and, and as we as we wrap up, I would just say, look, our, our aim here is um, not to just slam people who have an Arminian view uh, or, or partial Arminian view. Right. Um, in, in the end, Arminius, you know, ended up becoming more Pelagian and, and a heretic. And and I think if you ultimately embrace, truly embrace Arminianism and all of its logical conclusions, you'd be a heretic. And I think by God's grace, most who say they're Arminian really aren't, and they don't follow through with the conclusions. And so I, I think that's that's God's grace and in ignorance, I suppose. Um, but I, I think the case for Calvinism, which we just got to get away from the word. Nobody is a follower of John Calvin. Nobody is following Arminian, Arminius, right? Yeah. Um, we're just saying here's a framework to understand biblical doctrine. But I think the case is pretty clear cut for, you know, uh, the total depravity of man and irresistible grace and perseverance of the saints, unconditional election. I, the Bible is just clear on those things, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think a lot often time when people attack us for our views, they will say, just as you mentioned, well, you guys are following Calvin, whereas I'm following Christ. Okay, well, we're following Christ. Um, we didn't learn these views from Calvin. We learned these views just from the word of God. And what I would just add to that is that it's the whole counsel of God that supports this. I mean, from start to end, when you take the Bible as a whole and you understand the Old Testament, how the Old Testament leads to the New Testament and the promises that are wrapped up in the New Testament, the, 
the regenerated heart, the promise of the Holy Spirit. You mentioned the Holy Spirit being a seal of our inheritance. And when you look even in Hebrews, you see that one chapter, and then you have to compare it with everything else that's said throughout the entire book and look at the situation that's being presented there. You know, I believe that the only consistent view that you can come out with is that when God saves you, it is eternal. From that point forward, you have life and you cannot lose life. And Jesus and Paul and the biblical writers, I believe, make that as emphatic as you can possibly make it. So this should provide great comfort to those who understand it, because you don't need to wrestle with assurance of salvation. You don't need to wrestle with whether you've done enough good works. Um, All you need to do is know that when you have put your faith into Jesus Christ, that you believed all that he said, that the word of God are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we must submit to them. You know, if you have that attitude, then you have put your faith into the true Christ, your salvation is secured. Yeah. You are now freed, actually. You are freed to do his will. It's not that you, um, you you have to struggle and fight to do as many good works as possible to prove that you're good enough. Yeah. Your obedience demonstrates your salvation. It doesn't keep or earn it. Right. Right. Um, and, and so we can't put the cart before the horse, so to speak. Um, it, Amen. O- obedience follows instead of proceeds. Okay. So answer the question, because we've had some critics and you sort of, I'll just answer there. Um, how, how did we both come to believe the doctrines that we call Calvinism? How, how did you come to believe you those and I both came to it? I can, I can say this confidently. We came to it by reading the scriptures and by being illuminated by the Holy Spirit as we we're reading the scriptures. That's you all. didn't you didn't sit under John Calvin personally. I did not sit under John Calvin. I didn't even read his works. I, I didn't even understand the five points. Um, I, I, reading the scriptures, uh, those teachings became true. And then when you look at and start to study the framework that we call Calvinism, we're like, oh yeah, yeah. that's that's what the yeah. Bible says. Yeah, yeah. Same for me. I was actually in the charismatic church. Didn't have anything to do with uh, John MacArthur or Paul Washer or any of these reform guys. I didn't even know the word reformed existed. And I'd never heard of Calvinism as a theological framework. And I simply came to the conclusion, specifically uh, teaching through the book of Romans. And um, yeah, and, and from there, I just questioned other things. And I went from scripture to scripture to page to page. And in God's grace, my heart was such that I didn't care about what anyone called anything. I just wanted to know what scripture taught. Right. And and I think if you're listening to this uh, podcast, you've listened through the series and you, you know, you're on the Arminian side. My question to be my question to you would be, um, do you care more about the truth of scripture than the offense of a title? No. Right. Um, in, in, in every sense, we're just Christians and we're trying to be biblical, you know, we're not Calvinists in that way. Um, and and that's what we care about. And, you know, you may have to swallow your pride. That's okay. Um, following God's truth is, is worth it. Pride comes before the fall. That's something we should all be killing. And I would say for Calvinists too, on the other side, don't be arrogant because you think you have biblical doctrine down. Um, I, I think this is biblical doctrine but recognize that it wasn't your own clever intellect that came to this conclusion. It also wasn't your work, right? It it was God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so we also ought to be very humble in this position. Yeah. If anything, this should make us humble. Yeah. 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 It really should. I think the Calvinist the Calvinistic positions that this understanding of doctrine ought to produce in the mature believer, 
and I'll go give lots of nuances, although I hate them. In, in the mature believer, the most humble, loving um, Christian that, that exists today, that has a very high view of God, a low view of man, a high view of his church. Yeah. Right. That's what this doctrine ultimately does over the lifetime in the work of a true believer. Amen. Well, guys, I hope that this has been helpful to you. Uh, we appreciate you listening. You can always uh, give us any feedback that you want or any suggestions for upcoming podcasts. Um, and until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.